Uh, I would uh, have a phone call or an in-person uh, conversation with the parents uh, just, just to make sure that what the, the student was saying was taking place in their life and in their heart uh, was genuinely what the parents were also seeing and identifying at home. Because oftentimes uh, a youth student who seemed to, to turn a spiritual corner at youth group uh, was sometimes still living in uh, rebellion and defiance uh, within their own home. Uh, and those two things, uh, they don't mesh. Uh, and, and home is truly where our hearts are revealed, right? That's where our most intimate relationships uh, are between uh, husband and wife, between a parent and child. Uh, and those are where we can, we can have the, the most bitter conflicts and the greatest joys, Right? Uh, and uh, within those things, uh, the Apostle Paul isn't wanting just to, uh, to fly over the, the, the Christian household uh, as, he, as he talks about how the gospel applies uh, to uh, our life now. Uh, he's going to get down into the nitty-gritty. And uh, as uh, one of my former pastors would say, uh, this is going to be a message where the pastor is going to be meddling. Uh, he's going to be meddling in, uh, in your life at home because guess what? God's word meddles. Uh, God's word has, uh, has commands and instructions that it gives to us on how we are to, uh, to live, even in the, in the mundane, even in the small things of life of how we go about uh, living and organizing our homes. Uh, and uh, as we are here in Colossians 3 uh, this morning, uh, we, we'll see that everything that Paul has already said in Colossians 3, as, as he has addressed the entire church, every, everything that he has said, every command that he's given would, would be applicable in uh, an individual family. Uh, he, he's told them to, to seek the things that are above, where Christ is, to set their minds on things that are above. He's, he's told them to, uh, to put to death uh, what is earthly within them. He's told them to, to put away anger. He said, do not lie to one another. He said, Put on uh, love and, and hearts of compassion. Bear with one another. Forgive with one another. Does that, is that ever needed in, in a family? Just occasionally, like every uh, other hour or so. Uh, and, and all of these commands would be true and important in the family, but then he doesn't just skim over all of those commands and say, well, they'll figure out how to apply that to their family. Now Paul is going to, to start a section beginning in verse 18 and going through verse 1 of chapter 4. Uh, and he's going to spend time speaking about, hey, how, do, how does the gospel s- specifically apply to the Christian household? Uh, and as he addresses the family, he's going to speak to six groups uh, of people, uh, and he's going to do it in pairs, because in relationships, you're always relating with someone else. Uh, and as he addresses these three pairs, he's going to not just address one, one party, but both parties in each of these relationships. Uh, and uh, the first of those pairs is the husband and wife relationship. Uh, he's going to go in a logical order depending upon the level of intimacy. There's no uh, closer relationship than the husband and wife relationship. Then he's going to move to uh, to children and parents uh, or children and fathers and then bond servants and, and masters. And uh, in each of these pairs, the, the first party mentioned is called to be uh, in submission or uh, underneath the authority of the second party. Uh, and uh, in each of these relationships, it's clear that abiding under the authority uh, that, that is mentioned here is, is part of our, our Christian duty. Uh, and as we look at the first of these pairs today uh, regarding husbands and, and wives, 
Paul is going to kind of give us the, I guess, the Cliff Notes version. There is much more to be said, but Paul is saying, hey, I'm, I have a limited amount of space and a limited amount of time. Let me, let me get to what is most important. If the Colossians need to hear one thing about husbands and wives, let me give them this. So uh, when you think about it that way, this is going to be very key. Uh, and we're going to see uh, the most important dynamics of the husband and wife relationship in the home. But, uh, but before we get to, uh, to our, our text, I wanted to give you a little bit of background uh, about uh, the first century in, in the Roman Empire and, and what marriages were like. Okay. Uh, in the first century, the, the husband slash father uh, had absolute authority over his home. Uh, that he, he was the, the man in charge. He had absolute authority over his wife and his children. And uh, one pastor, uh, William Barclay, says this. He says, under Jewish law, a woman was a thing. She was the possession of her husband just as much as his house or his flocks or his material goods were. She had no legal right, whatever. For instance, under Jewish law, a husband could divorce his wife for any cause, while a wife had no rights whatsoever in the initiation of divorce. In Greek society, a respectable woman lived a life of entire seclusion. She never appeared on the streets alone, not even to go marketing. She lived in the women's apartments and did not join her menfolk, even for meals. From her there... Uh, from her there was demonstrated a complete servitude and chastity. Uh, but her husband could go out as much as he chose and could enter into as many relationships outside marriage as he liked and incur no stigma. Both under Jewish and Greek laws and custom, all the privileges belonged to the husband and all the duties to the wife. Sounds uh, pretty, pretty sobering, right? Uh, pretty uh, amazing to, to hear that. Uh, and again, of, in the Greco-Roman culture, the man was, was sovereign over his family, over his household. He was the, the, the father-husband uh, master, so to speak. Uh, but what Paul is going to do here uh, is he is going to completely reconfigure the Christian household. He's going to say, hey, this is, this is what you're used to in culture. Let's take all of that. Let's uproot it. Uh, and bring it all under the Lordship of Christ. And then let's look and see how the Lordship of Christ impacts every one of those relationships. That's what we're going to to see here. See, that the Christian household is no longer under the Lordship of that husband, father, master, but it's under the Lordship of who? Jesus. That's, that's just as we saw last week in Colossians 3.17, where Paul said, "...and whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus." giving thanks to God the Father through him. Well, that includes how you lead your home. And, and so Paul is expanding on what that looks like within the home. And in these, uh, in these first two verses, what we're going to see is uh, the two ingredients uh, to a Christ-exalting marriage. Now, Paul is going to say, hey, let me address this relationship first. Uh, and under, we need to understand that he's addressing two groups of people, not just one. Uh, and oftentimes we, we will isolate one of these commands and uh, ignore the other, uh, depending upon if we're if we're man or if we're a woman. But we, we need to to understand what Paul is going to say here, and it's we need to take it as as part of a whole rather than individual part, portions. And and before we we dive into the first ingredient, I wanted to give a, a note of application to to singles because this is this would easily be easily be a message where you can say, well, this is to to married folk. 
uh, and I can kind of tune out for the next, uh, you know, 30, 35 minutes. Uh, but but I, would, I would encourage you to, to, to really listen, because what this is going to do is it's, it's going to, uh, to lay out what you should be looking for in a future spouse. Okay? And what you should also be doing is, is examining your own heart. Say, hey, am I ready to do this in marriage? Uh, not just uh, hypothetically, but what does this really look like? What, is it, what does it look like for uh, the wife to, to willingly submit to her husband? And, uh, and young men, what does it really look like to sacrificially love your wife? Uh, and uh, it, it's much easier just to say, okay, that's something I'll worry about down the road. But no, you need to be thinking about it now because when you, when you walk down an aisle, do you magically change? Is there some sanctifying p- power in walking down the marriage aisle? And all of, the, all of the, if you look around, all of the people who are married are kind of chuckling because they know that that's not the case. That they know, hey, that what we, the issues that we had prior to marriage, we still have in marriage. Uh, and they're even exposed to an even greater extent. So uh, for, for uh, you, you single folk, the, for the teens, for the college students, this is still for you. Don't, don't tune it out. And I'll try and, in the middle of the message, be, be helping you understand how this applies to you. But uh, let, let's, let's first dive into this ingredient that we will uh, come across first in verse 18. Uh, and we're going to see, uh, you know what, let's pause. Let's, let's read verses 18 through uh, chapter 4, verse 1, to get, a, to get a big picture of this section. And, and as we read, notice how, how frequently the lordship of Christ comes up. This is the, the point of this passage, Christ's lordship over the home. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. Bondservants, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. For the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done, and there is no partiality. Masters, treat your bondservants justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. Uh, And as Paul begins this section, he begins uh, with wives, and and he gives a a simple simple instruction, and then he's going to give a motivation for that instruction. Uh, and the instruction is, hey, he says to submit or to be, to be subject to uh, your husbands. Uh, and the idea of that word submit is to, uh, to align yourself uh, underneath someone else. It's, it's a military word that reflects soldiers arranging themselves under the, the uh, command of, the, of their officer. Uh, and this, is, this command is given and intended to be seen as an ongoing action. It points to a wife willingly choosing to place herself under her husband's leadership on a continual, ongoing basis. Uh, and this is not the only place in the New Testament where this command is given. It's also seen uh, in 1 Corinthians, Ephesians, 1 Timothy, Titus, and 1 Peter. Uh, and also notice that uh, as, as, we, as we really understand what this word submit means, because our culture has a very different connotation and understanding, and this has been abused, which we'll, we'll talk about, but... But Paul doesn't say uh, obey. He, he tells children, he tells uh, bondservants to obey. Uh, 
But what does he say to, to wives? To submit. And, and within this, there, there is the idea of this is intended to be something that's done willingly. Uh, it's not done under compulsion, but it's voluntary. Uh, as, as the wife recognizes, hey, this is the, the order that God has ordained. This is the order that God has uh, established uh, in creation. Uh, and this is, she begins to, to organize herself uh, underneath her husband. But we also have to keep in mind, again, in the big picture, uh, under the, the lordship of Christ on any organizational chart of the family, who should be at the top in the Christian household? Not the husband, but Jesus. Uh, and so we need to, to understand that as the, as the wife comes under uh, the leadership of her husband, uh, the husband's also coming under the leadership of Christ, and they're both underneath Christ's lordship. That is what uh, is being commanded here. Uh, and so Paul issues this simple command for, for a, a wife to, to submit to her husband, and then he supplies the motivation uh, in the second part of the verse. He says, as is fitting uh, in the Lord. And this, that little phrase is not intended to, to limit the submission of the wife, but it explains why it is necessary. Uh, if something is, is fitting, it's, it's proper uh, and it's right. And there's an interesting verb tense in the Greek where it implies that what is fitting now has been fitting in the past. Uh, and that's, that, I think what Paul is doing, he's, he's highlighting that, that what is proper now has always been proper. Uh, if, if you uh, just listen to these verses from, from 1 Corinthians 11, what Paul will often do is, is look back to creation and how God created as, the, uh, as communicating something about the, the order of a household. Uh, 1 Corinthians 11.3, Paul writes, But I want you to understand that the head of every man is Christ, the head of a wife is her husband, and the head of Christ is God. Uh, and then in that same chapter, verses 7 and 9, Paul says, For a man ought not to cover his head, since he is the image and glory of God, but woman is the glory of man. For man was not made from woman, but woman from man. Neither was man created for woman, but woman for man. And as I, as I mentioned, Paul, uh, pulling and pointing backwards to creation, uh, gives us an understanding and idea that this isn't just something that was intended to be understood as uh, applicable in first century Rome. Uh, this was something that was applicable to all people and at all times because it's, it's rooted in creation. It's not rooted in societal norms of the, the Roman Empire, but it's rooted in how God made everything. Uh, when something is fitting in the Lord, it is fitting and appropriate at all times and in all cultures uh, because that is what uh, God has commanded. One, one pastor said, What is fitting for the believer is determined not by popular culture but by Christ. Uh, and what we see repeatedly in Colossians is that our, our vertical relationship with Christ rules over our horizontal relationships. Uh, and uh, with others in the church, as we've already seen, with others in society, and now with others in our homes. But, but this idea is so contrary to everything that our culture teaches and proclaims, is it not? Uh, and uh, I know it uh, be, because of the, the time and place that we are in, uh, it, this, this may be, be difficult to, to see, to, to understand, to obey. Uh, and, and with what I've said so far, I don't want in any way to, to make it seem like this is an easy thing. Ladies, I know this is difficult, and we'll, we'll talk about the difficulty of these things, and I think the, the instructions given to the man are, are even more difficult to, to love uh, our wives. But uh, in, our, in our culture, there's, 
this, this modern feminist theory uh, that defines patriarchy. You guys ever heard that term, pa- patriarchy? Uh, modern feminist theory defines patriarchy as an unjust social system that enforces gender roles and is oppressive to both men and women. Uh, it often includes any social, political, or economic mechanism that evokes male dominance over women. And feminist theory typically characterizes patriarchy uh, as a social construction which can be overcome by revealing and critically analyzing its manifestations. So say, hey, where is patriarchy taking place? And then let's figure it out and identify it and and see why it's taking place. And uh, some argue that the complete patriarchal organization should be overturned. Let's just uh, overturn everything to do with patriarchy and uh, especially the family because they see that as the as the beginning points of female oppression. Uh, and uh, this, this feminist agenda has been uh, influenced by much of the culture and the entertainment industry. Uh, was, this was a topic uh, this week as there's a, a, a reboot of an old television show that's uh, being made right now, uh, the television series Charmed, uh, which is about these, these three witches. Well, Entertainment Weekly in this article this week had this to say about the, the reboot of this series. Uh, the update of the 1998 fan favorite about a trio of sisters who are powerful witches will now have a rather progressive and topical take. Here's the network's official description of the new incarnation of Charmed. This fierce and funny feminist reboot of the original series centers on three sisters in a college town who discover they are witches. Between vanquishing supernatural demons, tearing down the patriarchy, uh, and maintaining familial bonds, a witch's work is never done. So you see, what is our what is our culture all about? What are they uh, What are they trying to to proclaim? As I said, every every television show, every movie preaches and proclaims some kind of a message, and it's obvious what the goal of these producers of this show is. It, it's to to show these women tearing down the patriarchy, uh, and our society sees submission to authority as something to be cast off and fought against, but what we have to understand as Christians is that submission to authority is a normal, everyday part of the Christian life. In the New Testament, listen to these areas in which uh, the Christian is called to subject themselves or to submit to. The entire church is to be subject to Christ. 1 Corinthians 15, verses 27 and 28. The Christian is to submit to government authority. We see that in Titus 3.1 and Romans 13. First Peter is all about submitting to government in the middle of that government persecuting Christians. Uh, it's an amazing book. I would encourage you to just go through and look and see what, what Paul, uh, Peter is calling these Christians who are being persecuted to do. Submit to, uh, to the governing authorities, even as Christ submitted to the governing authorities. And what did they do to, to Jesus? They killed him. He submitted to the point of death. Now, Ephesians 5.21, Christians are to be subject to one another. Ephesians 1.22 and Philippians 3.21 show us that all things are to be subject to Christ. Even just what we saw last week in Colossians 3.17, we are to to submit all of our lives to Jesus, to do everything in his name. And in Colossians, we will also see that children are called to submit to their parents and slaves are called to submit to their masters. In, In the Christian life, nobody is exempt from submission to authority. We are all called to submit to someone else. Uh, and that is just a part of, uh, not just a Christian life, that's just a part of life, uh, if you just look around in society. But uh, 
But this command to, to submit to your husband does not in any way imply the inferiority of women. So, so I want to I make this clear because this is something that uh, has been abused throughout church history. That, that this instruction does not mean that women are in any way less valuable because we know in Genesis 1, uh, men and women were both created in whose image? God's. Uh, we, we both have the image of God within us, and that is what gives us an intrinsic value. We also have seen that, that men and women are equal in Christ. In Colossians 3.11 and Galatians 3.28, uh, we see that uh, at the foot of the cross, everybody stands equal. Men, women, Jew, Gentile, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, everybody is on level ground at the foot of the cross when we come to Christ. Uh, but the Bible does teach, as we have seen, that that the man is intended to be the leader and head of the family, and that is something that God ordained in creation. Uh, we see it in Adam's being created first, and the Apostle Paul, as we just read, uh, appeals to this truth not only in 1 Corinthians, but also in 1 Timothy. And being equal in God's spiritual family, as men and women are, does not mean that they are, uh, does not negate structures that God has ordained for the physical family. Hey, you're, you're this way in God's spiritual family of the church, but there's still these structures in the physical family that don't just disappear now that you are in Christ. Uh, and, and as we speak of this duty of Christian wives to submit to their husbands, there are, there are two extremes that, uh, that we want to guard against. Again, the, the natural tendency is for people to, to pendulum swing back and forth, but we want to be a, a plumb line anchored by the word of God. No, there's two extremes that we must guard against uh, as we understand this command. Number one is ignoring this instruction. Uh, sometimes uh, people will, will want to uh, just to, to push this away and say, well, this is just something that was cultural. This just something in the first century Greco-Roman uh, world of, of Paul's time. But, but I, I think those who, who do that are, are not dealing consistently with Scripture. Because if, if, we, if we say that this command was only for that time, how do we distinguish that? How do we know only this command? Why not every command in the Bible? You can, you can write off the entire New Testament as something intended for uh, only for the first century if you use that way of reading and understanding Scripture. Uh, and it's interesting of those critics who will, who will say this is only a, a, a cultural command, uh, they don't feel that way about the, the next verse. What's the next verse to husbands? What are they supposed to do? to love their wives. I've never met anybody who says that, that that command is only something for the first century and that husbands no longer need to love their wives. Why? Because that's abundantly and obviously contrary to the teachings of Christ. Uh, but oftentimes people will, will take an issue with this. And, and, and so we, we must, again, come to, to the Bible saying, am I willing to, to hear whatever it says uh, and then align myself under Scripture, am I am I willing to uh, to obey everything in Scripture or just certain parts of it? And that's in essence what we do when, when we try and say, "Oh, it's just a cultural thing." We're in essence saying, "Well, I want to obey some things, but not everything." I uh, uh, I want to quote the the EFCA statement of faith, uh, uh, the the statement of faith from our denomination for the in explaining our our stance and understanding on the Word of God. I, I love what it says here. He says. Uh, it says, we believe that God has spoken in the scriptures, both Old and New Testaments, through the words of human authors. As the verbally inspired word of God, the Bible is without error in the original writings. The complete revelation of his will for salvation and the ultimate authority 
by which every realm of human knowledge and endeavor should be judged. And this is the, the part that I, that I wish I could write it as clearly as this. It says, Therefore, it is to be believed in all that it teaches, obeyed in all that it requires, and trusted in all that it promises. Uh, and even if the, the culture around us is saying, no, this is, uh, this is what is wrong with our world, this is what we need to attack, this is what we need to tear down and destroy, we have to stand firm on this because it's, it's God's word. Uh, we, we can't flinch from this. We can't cave to, to cultural pressures and, and, and toss it aside. We don't have permission to, to go through the commands of Scripture and say, well, I like this one, so I'll obey it, and I don't like this one, so I'm going to ignore it. And so uh, the first extreme we have to avoid is simply ignoring this uh, instruction. And the second extreme that we need to avoid is abusing this instruction. Submission does not, or submission means subordination, not subjugation. Uh, it's not men, make sure your wives are subjugated to you. Uh, and, and here's something we, we need to understand as well, that we have to agree with the feminists to a certain degree. That we have to agree with feminists when we see the abuse of women in the name of this verse. We have to agree with them and say, yes, that's wrong. We need to declare that to be unjust and not right and, and contrary to Scripture when this verse uh, is used to abuse women or, or in a, in, it's rooted out of its context. Our, our hearts should be broken when we see the evidence of abuse against women in our society. Uh, and we need to, uh, to acknowledge that, yeah, in, in a certain degree, that can be systemic in, in some ways. But, and our hearts should be broken, but, but we still must not hesitate to speak the truth in love. Uh, and, uh, and addressing the problem, is the problem uh, male leadership? No. What's, what's really the problem is sin. That's really the heart of the issue. And what is the solution to sin? the gospel, Christ, turning from sin and turning to Jesus in faith. That's the only hope for sin. That's the only remedy for sin. And that's, that's what needs to be applied in these instances, not just saying, well, we need to do away with male leadership. That, that, that doesn't deal with the issue because everybody is a sinner. Uh, and no matter who is leading, they will still be inclined to sin. And only the gospel can address the heart issue of sin. And only the gospel can address and heal uh, the, the wounds that abuse creates. Uh, and so we need to understand that the solution to what the, the... And oftentimes the world will identify a problem. Uh, and feminists have said, hey, this, here's a problem that we see, uh, and here's the solution. Oftentimes they're really good at identifying problems, but they're not as good as supplying the correct solution. And as Christians, what, what we have a tendency of doing is wiping away both and just say, well, that's a, you're being critical and I don't like your solution, so I'm going to disregard what you're saying is also the problem. And no, we need to hear from our critics. We need to hear from the feminists and say, hey, is there any truth to what they're saying? And then if it is true, we need to agree with them uh, and pursue reconciliation. But again, we do that through the gospel, through Christ. Uh, and so, so as, we, as we look to this, uh, as, as we look at how this applies to us, uh, say, hey, I have four groups that I want to kind of run through this first. And the first would be for those of you who are, who are wives. How, how, would you, how would you look at your life and evaluate your submission, your following of your husband? 
Do you uh, battle your, your husband on every decision? Do you attempt to undermine his authority when it comes time to make decisions? Do you constantly nag him when he's made a wrong decision? And guess what? I'm not a prophet, but your husband will at times make some bad decisions. Uh, I know because I've done that. Uh, but, don't, but don't nag him for that. And this reality of, of in, in what ways have you submitted to or undermined your husband? Uh, and what is it that you need to, to confess to God and to your husband and, and ask for forgiveness and say, hey, you know, I want to come under your leadership and, and follow you. Uh, and w- how can you begin to, to pray and ask the Lord to help you in this area? And, I, and again, I know it's not easy. Uh, and, and this is something that you will continue to work on uh, because we're all in process. So uh, wives thinking through that. And now husbands, let me say this also clearly. Your responsibility is not to make sure your wife obeys this verse, okay? Uh, that's, not your, uh, that's not your job. Uh, you're not to look at her and say, hey, you're supposed to submit. If you're doing that, you're doing verse 19 very badly uh, of love your wives. Uh, this is not your responsibility to make sure she's obeying. What's your responsibility? For you to obey. Yeah, and you, we, like I said, we have, in the next verse, we have two commands, not one. Uh, and, and we'll look to those. But, but husbands, what we will see is we have to focus first and foremost upon our own walk with Christ. Uh, and uh, I mentioned for another group would be for you single ladies. How are you, how are you currently uh, submitting to authority in your life? Uh, how, do you, how do you interact with your parents? Uh, how do you uh, deal with other authority figures in your life? Uh, are you are you rebelling secretly? Uh, are you uh, you know compliant in, in one sense and then you do whatever you want to do? Well, I would encourage you. That's in the future. If if you bring that attitude into marriage, uh, it's going to bring with it a whole lot of baggage and create a whole lot of problems within marriage. Uh, and so, what I would encourage you, young single ladies, to do is uh, is go spend some time with some older married women. Uh, you go and, and, and speak with them. Ask them, what, it, what does it really look like to submit to uh, a husband? What, what are the difficulties? What are the, what are, where is it easy? Where is it hard? Uh, and, and older wives, uh, be, be willing to be open and honest with these, these younger women about, hey, the, the struggles and that you've faced. And Lord willing, the, the younger generation can learn from the older generation and not repeat uh, their mistakes. And, uh, and, and they can learn from what you have gone through. And then for, for young men, I would encourage you to look for this quality in a future wife. Uh, look and see how she interacts with her parents, uh, how she interacts with others. Because uh, if, if, you're, if you're dating or pursuing a young lady and she's in, in outright rebellion against uh, her parents, uh, what's going to happen if you guys get married? Is that rebellion just, just magically going to stop? Or, or what, what patterns she's established prior to marriage are going to be carried over into marriage. So what's going to happen in marriage is you may have someone who's unwilling to listen, who doesn't want your, your input and wants to go her own way. And that's going to create a whole lot of tension within your marriage. So uh, this, again, this, this truth is applicable to the entire household and it, and it informs us of what we should be looking and examining. Uh, but again, as I said, if we, if we isolate this command from what comes next, it might seem a little harsh. But we have to understand the greater context of how the Bible lays out the marriage relationship. As we'll see in the next verse, husbands are commanded to love their wives. Thus, a woman's submission to her husband is not envisioned to be submission to a tyrant, but to be in submission to a loving and kind man who is following Christ. 
That's the, the, the God-ordained picture of marriage. Uh, it's not, hey, woman, just submit to this tyrant that you've married, but it's, no, submit to this man who loves you, who's sacrificially caring for you and providing for you, looking first and foremost to your well-being. Then it, then it makes it a whole lot easier to submit to and follow that man as he's following Christ. And this is the picture of marriage that is painted here, uh, and this is why the Apostle Paul doesn't just deal with wives, but he also deals with husbands. And this is the second ingredient that we'll see this morning. Uh, the first one is so that the willing submission of a wife, and then the second ingredient is the sacrificial love of a husband. And as I said, I think I feel like this is harder, but maybe that's just because I'm a man. Uh, and, and the longer I've been married, I understand uh, how difficult this is uh, and, and the, the, the enormity of the task of what Paul says here in verse 19. Look at it with me. He says, Husbands, love your wives. And do not be harsh with them. So Paul gives a, a positive command uh, and then a negative prohibition. Do this and then don't do this. And the first one he says, love your wives. And again, it's, it's an ongoing action. Uh, it's a continual uh, habit. It's a way of life. Make it your practice to love. Uh, and, and husbands, you can love your wives in this way because you are loved by God. Just look a little bit back up in Colossians to verse uh, 12 of chapter 3. Now, where he says, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. Hey, uh, as Christians, we are beloved by God, and he has loved us, and his covenant love secures us. Uh, and now we are called to extend that same type of covenant love as men to our, to our wives. Uh, and men, you are commanded to love your wife in such a way that you are actively and unceasingly caring for her well-being. You don't, you don't take breaks from that. It's something that you are always focused on. And, and your covenant love for her will, make it, will be what makes it easy for her, for her to, to follow you uh, and, and to submit to your leadership. And make it easy on her by loving her. And then the negative prohibition of the do not be harsh with them. It's a, it's a, compl- a command to be completely avoided. Uh, and what he is saying is the idea of, of harsh or being uh, embittered. This, this word is used to describe something that when you eat it, it makes you sick to your stomach. Saying, husbands, don't, don't become bitter towards your wives uh, so that it comes out in anger. The, the word is being used metaphorically here to present this idea of uh, being angry. Because when you're angry, how do you feel on the inside? It's churning, right? You, you feel sick to your stomach. You feel that something is, is wrong. And... Now this, this high calling is not easy, uh, and, and the measuring stick of our love isn't, uh, isn't you, it's not your friend. Uh, you know, ever notice that like, when we compare ourselves to people, we always compare ourselves to like, the hor- most horrible people we can think of? Everybody loves to compare themselves to who in history? Hitler, right? If you, Am I a bad person? Well, I'm better than Hitler. Like, yes, well, you know, by that standard. Yeah. But, but, but keep your finger here in Colossians and turn back to... To Ephesians chapter 5, a, a passage parallel to this one. And, and you'll see that, that the measuring stick for us as husbands is not ourselves, but it is Christ. It, it's Jesus that we are to hold ourselves up to uh, and evaluate. And that's, that's a pretty big measuring stick, right? Uh, and, and we're going to, to fall short, but, but I want to I see and understand the enormity of the task that we have ahead of us. Look with me, Ephesians 5 beginning in verse 25. Paul says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. There's, there's the standard. What, what Paul says is, 
You are, we are to love our wives as Jesus loved his bride, the church. And what did Jesus do for his bride? He died for her. He sacrificed his life. Let's keep reading. Verse 26, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Paul, Paul points to Christ. He, Paul's, uh, he points to a man's own love for himself, of love your wife as your own body. And that makes perfect sense, because when you're married, two become one. There, there's a one flesh union. Uh, and, and in spite of the church's many sins and failings, has Christ's love for his bride diminished or changed? No, in spite of all of our sins, in spite of all of our uh, failures, what does Jesus do for his church? He died for her, and then he continues to love and build her up with mercy and compassion. And I, I recently read a heartbreaking story about Albert Einstein. Uh, and, and his marriage relationship with his wife. And uh, in order to try and save his marriage, uh, he gave his wife uh, a list of conditions uh, for her to, to keep so that so they could save their marriage for the, their kids' sake. And this is, this is what he said to her. He says, You will make sure that my clothes and laundry are kept in good order, that I will receive my three meals regularly in my room, that my bedroom and study are kept neat, and especially that my desk is left for my use only. He says, you will renounce all personal relations with me insofar as they are not completely necessary for social reasons. Specifically, you will forego my sitting at home with you, my going out or traveling with you. He says, you will obey the following points in your relations with me. You will not expect any intimacy from me, nor will you reproach me in any way. You will stop talking to me if I request it. You will leave my bedroom or study immediately without protest if I request it. He said, you will undertake not to belittle me in front of our children either through words or behavior. What do you guys think happened? <laughs> think about that. Here, here's the this, this smartest man of the 20th century, and yet what does he know about love? Nothing. And it wasn't just but a few months later that his wife, Milova, left with the kids. So he, he tried to impose these things upon her to try and save their marriage. It was a disaster. And so it's unbelievable that Albert Einstein was actually pretty shocked to find out that his wife couldn't, couldn't do what he was asking. And one writer wrote this about the moment when she left. Uh, so at the end of July, just after three months in Berlin, Milova and the boys went back to Zurich. As he stood on the platform waving goodbye, Einstein wept. If not for Milova and the memories of what had been, then for his two departing sons. But even that was short-lived, but as within a matter of weeks, he was happily enjoying living alone in his large apartment in undiminished tranquility. That, that's a great example of what we are to never do as men, just to, to give to our wives uh, just this list of, hey, do this, do this, don't do this. Here's what you expect from me. Um, all of those things were, uh, who was Albert Einstein thinking about as he made all of those 
perfect picture of selfishness. But as, as men, we are to selflessly and sacrificially love our wives. Now, that, that is what we are, are called to do. And so uh, as, as husbands, as men, we have to take inventory. And men, how are you doing at loving your wife? Are you putting her needs ahead of your own? Are you loving her sacrificially? Are you being harsh towards her? Are you, are you angry in your speech towards her? Does she rest secure in your covenant love for her? Is it easy or difficult for her to follow your leadership? And there's a whole lot of things that can come into that dynamic. Previous sin... Previous sins against your wife, will that make it easier for her to follow you or more difficult? More difficult. So what we need to do is understand what, are the, what, are, what obstacles have I thrown up uh, for my wife in, in making it easy for her to follow me? And as we see those obstacles, we should go and confess them to our wife, asking for forgiveness. So I don't want that to be an obstacle anymore. I want to I love you sacrificially. I want to love you selflessly. And I want to make it easy for you to follow me. And wives, uh, again, understand the same way that it's not your husband's duty to make sure you are submitting him. It's not your responsibility to make sure that he is loving you. That's between him and the Lord. And I would say that's also why uh, it's great to be uh, in a church where, you know, other men, other people can come alongside uh, and, uh, you know, give a, a swift kick where needed to your husband and say, hey, let's, let's get in gear. Uh, you, you need to love your wife. Uh, you need to be loving her selflessly. Uh, and wives, you're not responsible for your husband's obedience. You're responsible for your obedience. Uh, and the, and the, what is presented here is that uh, each, each party within marriage, each spouse, is to focus on what they are called to do in God's word. Uh, but oftentimes, what are we most focused on? What the other person's doing. Uh, what the other person's not doing. Uh, and then... Uh, Notice that there was no qualification upon those commands of, hey, do this. Husbands, love your wife as long as she is submitting to you. Is that what it said? It said, uh, wives, uh, submit to your husbands as long as uh, they've never spoken a cross word to you and they've loved you perfectly. Is that what it says? No. And, and what happens is if, if your obedience becomes dependent upon the other person's obedience, what's going to happen? It's going to be a disaster because you're both saying you're both passing the buck, saying, "Well, I'll, be, I'll obey when they when she obeys. I'll do that." It's like no, each person is called to focus upon their uh, commitment before the Lord. I love what one of my seminary profs said: "Of are you willing to be an Ephesians five husband?" Because the, the passage in Ephesians is much longer for husbands. He says, "Are you willing to to be an Ephesians five husband even when your wife is not a Proverbs thirty one woman, and vice versa?" Are you willing to do that? And again, you do it not because uh, of what your wife or your spouse or your husband is doing, but because you are doing it before the Lord, under his lordship. That is what uh, Paul is calling us to, and that is what God is calling us to, to submit to Christ's lordship in our families. Additionally, single, single young men, how, how do you love others? You may not be married yet, but... Uh, a young lady should be able to tell a lot about the way that you love by looking at your interactions with other people. Do you love only when it's convenient for you, or do you love sacrificially? Do you only do what benefits you, or do you work to benefit others? That's, that's what it takes in 
marriage. That's what it looks like to say, hey, no to my own desires, and I'm going to do what's best for uh, my wife. Uh, and young, young ladies, you need to look for a, a guy like that. You need to look for someone like that. And young men, you need to strive to understand what that looks like to love your wife sacrificially. And, uh, and, and I would encourage you, you college students, hey, again, like I said, go, go hang with, with some of the families here in the church and families of the church. If a college student comes up to you, or if you, go, better yet, you go to a college student, invite them to lunch, say, hey, let me take you out. Let's just come hang. Let us get to know you. We, we need that. Uh, we need uh, multi-generational discipleship in our church. That, that is extremely important. Uh, you always want to be uh, pouring into people who are kind of behind you in the Christian walk and being poured into by others who are ahead of you. Uh, so that discipleship is always taking place and we're always learning and growing. And, and this morning what we've seen is, is this, this focus on marriage between Christians. This, this is God's blueprint for marriage. We've seen these two ingredients. Uh, and these, these commands, again, we, we cannot isolate. You can't just focus on one and forget the other. Uh, and they go hand in hand, and when when the two are taking place, they 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 raise up that marriage into a Christ exalting marriage, so that others around it look and say, "Wow, look at this relationship that this couple has." When uh, a young lady named Anne Morrow married uh, a guy by the name of Charles Lindbergh, uh, she was a, a timid young woman, uh, and he he was the first person to cross the Atlantic Ocean by himself uh, in a plane. So he was. He was famous. He was an American hero, uh, and uh, she easily could have been swept aside in, in all of the attention that was given to him. But being loved by him, she grew to become one of the, the nation's most popular writers. And here's what she wrote about her husband's love for her. She says, To be deeply in love is, of course, a great liberating force, and the most common experience that frees. Ideally, both members of a couple in love free each other to new and different worlds. I had no exception to the general rule. The sheer fact of finding myself loved was unbelievable and changed my world. My feelings about life and myself, I was given confidence, strength, and almost a new character. The man I was to marry believed in me and what I could do, and consequently I found I could do more than I realized. And Lindbergh's love for his wife uh, showed her that, that she didn't have to, to stay as she was. And his love and, and encouragement of her helped her to, in essence, fly as well. Uh, it, it elevated her. And that's, that's what we see this morning, uh, that when, when both spouses focus upon what Christ is commanding here, uh, when they both uh, work on what they are called to do, when there is sacrificial love and willing submission uh, on the part of the husband and the wife, it elevates both partners. Both are elevated, and as both are elevated, who else is exalted? Christ. Uh, and, and our marriages are going to be one of the most powerful ways that we give testimony to Christ. Uh, when when, when you're, we're talking with guys at, at work, uh, and the, uh, and they're sharing about uh, marriage struggles or, or home life struggles. Uh, we can speak into their life if, if we are applying this uh, to uh, ourselves. Hey, are you going to be able to, to help give wisdom and, and input in the life of an unbeliever that you're witnessing to regarding their marriage if your marriage is in shambles? No. They're going to look and say, well, how can you help me? And the reality is our 
our, our marriages are going to be a powerful witness to Christ, to, to the world around us, and they're going to be a powerful witness to Christ, to your children. Uh, and in and of themselves, uh, marriage is a picture of Christ's relationship with his church. It's a picture of the gospel. And so our marriages should be uh, our first priority. As Paul deals with relationships in the home, where does he start? Marriage, the husband and wife relationship. And as you, as you work to, to obey Scripture and, and up, apply Scripture to your life, you should start with your marriage. Uh, and you should start with your marriage, but first and foremost, even before that, you should start with yourself and say, Lord, am I applying what I have seen here? Almighty God, we come to you praising you, worshiping you for the wisdom that you have shown even before the foundation of the world. Lord, you have created man and woman. You have uh, given us specific roles. Lord, you have made us equal in integrity, worth, and value, and ability. And Lord, we thank you for that. We also thank you just that in your, your wisdom, of your word, how you have ordered the family, how you have created us to function and be. And and Lord, I pray for the marriages of our church. Lord, I pray uh, that the men, that the husbands would, would love their wives sacrificially. I pray that they would not be bitter towards them, that they would not be harsh, Lord, but that they would speak the truth in love and compassion, that they would put the needs of their wife before their own. I pray that as men we would make it easy for our wives to follow our leadership. And I pray for the wives here in our congregation that you would strengthen and sustain them, that you would help them to to willingly submit themselves, place themselves under the leadership of their husbands. Lord, and we know that uh, that in your infinite wisdom, that because this is the way that you have created things to be, that this is what is best. Lord, and we, and we trust this. You know, and we long to glorify you by fulfilling our God-given role in our marriage, in our household, that we might be a powerful witness to the world around us, that we might be a blessing to our families, that, we might, uh, that our marriages would not be a stumbling block to our children. And ultimately that Christ would be exalted, that we would be an accurate reflection of Christ's relationship with his bride, the church. May that be our greatest ambition. May that be uh, our highest aim to bring glory to Jesus Christ, our Savior, who, who loved us enough to give his life. He bled and died so that we might become his bride, that we might become the church. And And Lord Jesus, we long for that wedding day. We long to be united with you. Can't wait to see you, to be in your presence because of the covenant love that you have shown to us. It is in your name that we pray with love, with thanksgiving, with honor and praise. Amen.